We've already heard from Colin, the verse that we've chosen for 2008, for this our 200th anniversary year, is Acts 1, verse 8. Been working, or other people have been working on a a verse card and bookmarks, and uh, they are with the printer, and hopefully you'll get something like this uh, next Sunday morning. will be available for everyone with cards and bookmarks. Uh, This verse will also introduce our series in the book of Acts, which will be beginning uh, after Easter when we conclude our studies in Luke's Gospel. And most of you know that the Dr. Luke, who was also a great historian, wrote two volumes in the New Testament. The first one, the Gospel according to Luke, and then continuing on into the book of Acts. So God willing, we'll finish Luke as we follow the Passion narrative right through to Easter, and then we commence into Acts uh, after Easter. Uh, Let's look at the verse in full, and we've abbreviated it somewhat for our verse of the year card, Uh, but if we look at it in full, let me introduce it by saying there are two promises or predictions in the verse. Acts 1 verse 8, I'll read it without the actions, but uh, you'll uh, follow where we're going on this. If we look at the verse then it says, but you will receive power, that's the first promise, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and, second promise, you will be my witnesses, and the full verse says, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These two promises, or predictions, are inextricably linked together. First of all, witnessing for Jesus is only possible after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why the apostles were told to wait in Jerusalem before going out into the streets to talk about Jesus. And secondly, witnessing for Jesus is the inevitable outcome of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why after receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the first thing the apostles did was to go out into the streets and begin to speak about Jesus Now, both of these challenges present challenges to our current thinking among churches and Christians today. Uh, The first of these challenges those of us who think that all we need is information about Jesus. That we need to know the facts of the gospel. Yes, that's absolutely essential. But unless we have an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit and an ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit, then all our witness, all our efforts, will be ineffectual. But the second challenge is those, and there are many around today, who claim to have had some experience of the power of the Holy Spirit, which is for their own private benefit, and does not push them out into being effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. And today, with God's help, I want to leave these two challenges with you. Uh, This evening, God willing, if you can come back again, this is the second half, uh, we'll be looking at the second promise, prediction, you'll be my witnesses. Uh, This morning I want to look at the first, you will receive power. And if we're going to apply this correctly to ourselves, we need, as we always do, to place it in context. The context in which it was first given to the apostles. So, if you've got a Bible, will you turn with me then to Acts chapter 1. It really is important this morning to have a Bible in front of you because we'll be moving through the book of Acts, particularly the early chapters. If you don't have one, just look around, ask someone to pass one to you. The Bible's in the pews. 
That's what they're there for. You can't see one, lean over, just nudge someone and ask them to pass one to you, will you, please? It's important that we've all got a Bible. Everyone got a Bible. You need one? Just raise your hand. Someone will pass one to you. That's good. David Mitchell at Bible College still hasn't got a Bible. Get him one for... Hey, David. It's page 1092 for those who haven't been to Bible College. Let's just look in the Bible. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set, by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is God's word. I noticed from the internet this week that the Southern Baptist Convention, which I think is the largest denomination in the United States, have adopted Acts 1.8 as their Acts 1-8 challenge to all the churches linked with them. But is it valid to take a verse from the first chapter of Acts, Acts 1-8, and apply it to all Christians and all churches? Is it valid for us to take Acts 1 verse 8 as our verse for the year? After all, we wouldn't take all the promises made with Jesus after his resurrection and apply them equally to ourselves. If you've got the Bible there, just looking back, if you turn back to the end of John's Gospel, um, that's the page previously in our Bibles, uh, you'll notice that there's a story where Jesus met seven of his apostles who had spent a fruitless night fishing on the Sea of Galilee, and he said to them, John 21 verse 6, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will catch some fish. And they did. And they were unable to haul the net in because of the miraculous haul of fish. Yet, I, I don't suppose there are many Christians here who would claim John 21.6 as a verse for frustrated fishermen. Well, maybe there are, but uh, you would say, well, no, no, that's specific to that particular context. Yet, most people would claim that Acts 1 verse 8 is a verse and a promise that is relevant and applicable to all Christians. And that the experience of the apostles 
should be matched by us today. Is that so? Now, this is not just some kind of academic question. Because what hinges on this, actually, is the salvation of the world as Christians go out to witness for Jesus Christ. So what I want to do very simply this morning, before we come to the Lord's table, is look at this verse, first of all, in its context, as a promise to the apostles. And then I want to see how that promise relates to us today, 2,000 years on, here in Edinburgh. So let's start, first of all, then, with the promise uh, to the apostles. If you've still got your Bible open at Acts chapter 1, you'll notice that Luke begins his second volume, also addressed to this man called Theophilus. uh, And uh, he writes, In my former book I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions uh, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Luke writes that in his first volume he described all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven. Now, in this second volume, he will show that the work of Jesus on earth is not yet finished, but it continues through his apostles. Uh, This book is commonly called Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles. Um, The fuller title might be, as John Stott suggests, it's not very catchy, but the full title ought to be The Continuing Words and Deeds of Jesus, by his spirit through the apostles. But in order for those apostles to speak and witness, to continue the work of Jesus on earth, they need the same filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus experienced, you remember, when he began his ministry in the River Jordan, when he was baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit came upon him with power. Up to that point, he was still, of course, the sinless, Son of God in all his deity. Yet he received the fullness of the Holy Spirit and these apostles need that similar experience. And so Luke recaps in these opening verses how he ends Luke's Gospel with this period between the resurrection of Jesus and that is ascension into heaven, that 40-day period. So notice for the apostles, there's a kind of three-stage process that takes place. All right, Three stages in the experience of the apostles. First of all, there is a necessary period of waiting. Look what Luke tells us Jesus told the apostles. On one occasion, this is Acts 1 verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now just think for a moment, before you just move on from there, Think of all that these apostles had experienced. They'd been with Jesus three years, 24-7 as we say. They'd seen the most remarkable things. They'd heard the most remarkable teaching. They'd even been sent out by Jesus on ministry and done the most remarkable things. They'd witnessed this horrifying death on the cross. They'd experienced the presence of the risen Christ, not just on one occasion, but over this 40-day period, on many different occasions to many different people. Remarkable events. And then they'd been, as it were, in this intensive six-week Bible school when Jesus personally had filled in all the details that were lacking in their knowledge as he told them the Old Testament Scriptures, explained all the fulfillment, and it says in Acts 1, he spoke to them about the Kingdom of God. Now you would think, wow, that is amazing. They're ready to go. 
But although they are informed, they are not yet equipped. And I simply pause for a moment just to say to those of us who think that having sufficient knowledge of the Scriptures, which is absolutely essential, having a full understanding of doctrine, which again is absolutely essential, belonging to a church like this, or worshipping here, where we centre our teaching upon God's Word, all of this is vital and important, but it is not enough. Unless we have the power of the Holy Spirit, our witness for Christ will be totally ineffectual. If it was true for them, it is true for us. And so these apostles, after the ascension of Jesus, after the 40 days after his resurrection, into heaven, they do as Jesus instructed them. They return to Jerusalem to wait for the promised gift. Acts 1 verse 12. Uh, Then they return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, Sabbath day's walk from the city. They don't wait passively. They wait actively in prayer. Acts 1 verse 14. They all join together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And some ten days later, finally, on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the promise of Jesus is fulfilled. The waiting is followed, secondly, by receiving. Acts 2, if you've got your Bibles open. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And immediately on receiving the Holy Spirit, a third thing followed, waiting, receiving. Thirdly, what happened? Witnessing. We don't learn anything else other than that immediately... They began to witness. Wasn't that somebody told them, hey, just a minute, it's time you went out and witnessed? Straight out into the streets, speaking about Jesus in languages they had not learned. And the crowds, of course, gathered in the city for the festival from many parts of the Roman Empire are amazed and ask, Acts 2, verses 7 to 8, 11 to 12, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? And what follows is further witness, as the Apostle Peter then stands up, we'll look at it in a moment, the Apostle Peter stands up and begins to explain and witness to Jesus. And as we'll see, the rest of the book of Acts, we'll look at it this evening, the story of the book of Acts is how their witness progressed from Jerusalem to Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth, ending up in Rome with the Apostle Paul, a prisoner still hoping to go beyond that, to Spain. So the promise of Acts 1.8 is fulfilled for the Apostles. Now, I, I hope at this point nobody disagrees with me. The next bit you may do, but anyway, stay with me. Let's try and look at the Scriptures and see what it says. Back to our original question. Is that three-stage experience typical for the Christian today? Is it fulfilled in us in the same way as it was for the apostles? Now, this is it's a vitally important question. There would be no exaggeration to say that on this particular point, Christians have probably disagreed more on this particular point than on any other point in the last 40 years, probably, and certainly in, in the West and probably in the world as well. 
In particular, do we need, as some claim and teach, to wait for the promise to be fulfilled until the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, enabling us to be witnesses for Christ? For the answer, look more closely now at the promise to us. We've looked at the promise to the apostles. Let's look at the promise to us. Now, you need to keep your Bible open in Acts 2, and I'm assuming most of you know the story. If you don't, I apologize for that, but just try and stay with the text, all right? Let's return to Peter's explanation. All the crowds are asking, what does this mean? Peter stands up, verse 14, and says, let me explain this to you. Let me tell you what has happened. He says, no, we're not drunk, as some cynics are suggesting. It's too early in the morning for that. No, he says, what is happening is that these are the promised last days, and he quotes the prophet Joel in particular in his message, in which God promised to pour out his Spirit on all people, and in which God offers salvation to all who call on the name of the Lord. And having said that, he then begins to explain that the key person in all this is Jesus of Nazareth. And he gives the first example of what we might call the apostolic witness about Jesus. If you're going to witness about Jesus, what do you say? Well, look look at what Peter says. Notice very carefully, Peter relates all that God has done through Jesus. He said all that has happened to Jesus of Nazareth is part of God's plan. It's all God's doing. God is in this. These are the amazing days that you've longed for and prayed for. The last days. When the Spirit is poured out. So he describes, look very quickly and carefully, all that God has done through Jesus. First of all, his ministry. Notice the word God in all of these references. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. Verse 22. The ministry of Jesus was authenticated with signs and wonders by God. You know that. Then he turns to the death of Jesus. Verse 23. This man was handed over to you, no accident, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Then he moves to the most important fact, his resurrection. But God, this is verse 24, raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. See what he's doing? He's doing what the Holy Spirit told him they would do. You will receive power, you will be my witnesses. He's saying, these are the facts, we know about them, we saw them, we experienced them. And then he moves to the ascension of Jesus. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, and finally, his gift of the Holy Spirit. He's come back to the point he started with about the pouring out of the Spirit. He has received from the Father, Jesus has, God the Father has given the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. He's come full circle. Can you see? He started with, these are the last days of the Spirit. What's the key? It's all to do with Jesus. His life and ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. Now he's there, glorified at the right hand of the Father. He's poured out the Spirit. Jesus is the key. So notice his conclusion. 
about Jesus. Verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the key person. Jesus said, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Witnesses about me. Now, when the people realize what they have done, that they have murdered their Messiah, their long-awaited Christ, Luke records, verse 37, that they are cut to the heart and ask, brothers, what should we do? What can we do about this? We've made this terrible mistake. We've killed the Messiah. Now, notice very importantly as we come to the promise to us what Peter's answer is. Very important as we come towards the end of Acts 2. Peter says, you must do two things and God will do two things. Alright? What we must do. You must repent. That is, you must turn from your sin, turn to God, and you must be baptized as a sign of identifying with Jesus, of saying, I'm a sinner, I need God's grace and forgiveness. You are baptized in water. What will God do? God will forgive your sins and he will give you the Holy Spirit. He doesn't state it explicitly here, but it seems to me what he's saying is, you must be baptized in water. God will baptize you with his Spirit. Look at the verse that, that hangs on, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. God will forgive your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same promised Holy Spirit, whom Jesus received from the Father and poured out on the apostles, is now offered to all who will respond to God's call in repentance and faith in Jesus. Notice how he says it in verse 39. The promised gift is to all people, to all generations. Look how he concludes. The promise is for you, listening, and your children, that is, successive generations. And for all who are afar off, not only you local people, but people in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. People gathered from Pentecost, on Pentecost, the crowds from all the Roman Empire. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise of Acts 1.8 is not limited to the apostles, but it's offered to all, even in distant places, and to future generations, your children. Now, it seems to me, if you look at what the text is saying here very clearly, you don't have to wait for another Pentecost. For we live after Pentecost. The apostles did not say to the crowds, look, we've had this wonderful experience. God has poured out his Spirit on us as we were waiting in prayer in that upper room. And if you're to experience this, well, you need to go back to that sacred place and wait for a filling for yourself. It seems to me what Peter is very clearly saying here is, the promise, Holy Spirit, is for you. Just look at it again in, in historical context so we make the point. Uh, this apostolic witness about Jesus we've looked at, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his gift of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, the promise of the Holy Spirit to the apostles, is made after the resurrection of Jesus and before the ascension of Jesus. That's, that's a historical fact. If you look at the screen, it should come up there. 
between the resurrection and the ascension. They have to wait because historically the Holy Spirit has not yet been given. But now the promise of the Holy Spirit for us is post-Pentecost. Acts 1.8, the promise is to us, God has given the gift of his Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there is only one final event in the timetable to take place. One that the book of Acts stresses again and again. There are these kind of two, two bookends in human history. The ascension of Jesus from earth to heaven. At the end of time, the return of Jesus from heaven to earth. The period between that, the Bible calls the last days. Not because necessarily in time scale, things are going to happen tomorrow, but because they're the final days of God's saving acts in human history. Between the ascension of Jesus and the return of Jesus. These are the days of the Spirit. These are the days of grace. The return of Jesus from heaven to earth. These are the days of opportunity. These are the days to proclaim the good news of Jesus. These are the days when we call upon people to repent and be baptized and we offer God's forgiveness and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. The same gift that the apostles received. Now, you may not receive it in the same way. Maybe not even in the same measure. But it seems that the promise now... For those 3,000 who responded and were baptized on the day of Pentecost, I simply ask you, were they now inadequate Christians? Did they need some other experience subsequent to that? Yes, they needed, as we all do, to go on being filled with the Spirit. But did they need another Pentecost beyond that? No, it was Pentecost. The gift was given. And as I'm coming to a conclusion, then I've got a final illustration, but, but let's just pause for a moment, all right? And I simply ask you this morning... Are you a Christian? This is the day of opportunity. This is the day of God's grace. Have you repented of your sin? Turned from your rebellion against God? And have you returned, have you turned to God in repentance and faith? If so, God offers to forgive your sin and the Lord's table reminds us of that forgiveness that is available to us. But God also promises As you come to him, he doesn't say to you, right, your sins are forgiven and you've got to do the best you can because you've got some time left on earth and do your best to try and be a good Christian and and really try hard to be a good witness. No, he says, you will receive the same promised gift, the Holy Spirit, to enable you to witness for me. And we need that same Holy Spirit if we are to witness powerfully and effectively for Christ. So have you responded to God's call? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Let me finish. I'm almost concluded, uh, but I want to finish with an illustration, uh, which I hope will help, but please, as with all illustrations, don't push the details in every extreme, all right? Okay. A quarter of a century ago, some of you may know that we lived for two years in Nigeria with our two children who were toddlers at that time. I won't embarrass them, but... Uh, we lived in a village, this picture of our village, it's called Foba, which is in Plateau State in Nigeria. It's a beautiful location, about 4,500 feet above sea level, beautiful birds, beautiful scenery. Uh, we lived with our two small children in, in, in a mud-walled house. There should be a picture of that as well. For those who can't see the screen, I apologize. This is the house that we lived in, and it had a tin roof. And uh, although it was a nice place, we had two limitations. There was no water, no running water. Uh, There was water in wells, which was uh, several miles away and was 70 feet deep. 
So we live most weeks on about 30 gallons of water for everything. We had recycling before it was even thought of. Uh, And we also had uh, no electrical power. So for lighting, we use things like oil lamps, candles, and tilly lamps. A tilly lamp is an invention used by God to refine Christian grace and self-control. Anything you see of Christ's character in me is largely due to struggling with tilly lamps, I tell you. A few years ago, we went back for a visit, and everything had changed. Instead of the dirt road, there was a metal road. And I think power had come to the whole area from the local town of Joss, which was about 17 miles away. Now, just imagine, we weren't there at the time, Imagine the days before the power came. First of all, there would be an announcement from the government. Power is coming to your area. Uh, They would lay cabling or pylons, maybe even put up a substation from the town. Uh, People would pay to have lines installed to their own mud houses or brick houses as more of them were becoming. Uh, and you put plugs and appliances, uh, plugs on the walls, you know, and you get all these electrical appliances, electric kettles, you know, and computers, and goodness knows what, you know. You're all ready. But none of it is any use until the day when the power comes. But one wonderful day, and I've checked the facts with my colleague Rodney, who used to work in the power industry, that I got this right. <laughs> he said, what actually happens is that one day somebody says, this is the day... And in the power station, somebody switches something on or pulls a big lever or whatever or says bingo, uh, (laughs) whatever it is, someone throws the switch and power is available to the whole area. The days of waiting are over. Everybody received power. Now, that day is a bit like the day of Pentecost. It's a unique, never-to-be-repeated day in history. After that day, the power of the Holy Spirit is available to all in the area who call on the power company with Nigeria and pay to have it installed in your home. And the wonderful news is that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it, and again, don't push the details too hard, it wasn't a national grid or limited to certain areas. No, God poured out His Spirit on all flesh so that people all over the world in remote parts of Nigeria, in the jungles of Brazil, in the streets of Edinburgh, down in England. If people turn to God in repentance and faith and trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Holy Spirit is given to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And there is no cost For it is a promise, but it is also a gift. A free gift of God's grace that he gives his spirit liberally. In the past, his spirit was given sporadically on particular people at particular times. But now, as Peter says, his his spirit is poured out on all flesh, young and old, men and women, irrespectively. Now, of course, you can choose to remain in the darkness. Or you can give up not using the electrical power. You can go back to your candles and tilly lamps. But God promises to give His Spirit again and again to those who call upon Him, recognizing their need, 
And I want to say in Charlotte Chapel, our great need is that we might be more powerful witnesses for Christ. That we might be known natural witnesses for Christ. And what I want to say this evening, if you come back this evening, is this. That if you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, if you truly have and experience the Holy Spirit, you will be a powerful witness. That's the inevitable consequence. Looking at Scripture. And the Lord Jesus Christ promised that if we ask and go on asking, if we seek and go on seeking, if we knock and go on knocking, we will receive, we will find, the door will be open to you. I concluded the words of the Lord Jesus. We looked at them last Sunday morning if you're here. It's what Jesus said. If you then, fathers, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why don't we do that as we pray together? Let's pray.